Welcome, and thank you for joining us for today's CME podcast. PrimeMed podcasts are dedicated to providing on-the-go clinicians with pertinent, evidence-based primary care content that won't take too much time out of your busy schedule. Information about CME credits and faculty for today's podcast can be found within this activity's landing page on primemed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Be sure to also go to this location in order to claim your CME credits after the program. Thank you, and enjoy. Good morning. This is Dr. Walt Colburn, an infectious disease associate professor at Baylor College of Medicine, coming all the way from Houston to answer some of your frequently asked questions about coronavirus disease or COVID-19. The questions that I, was, I have been sent to answer are, the first one is, has the virus shown any evidence of mutation? At this time, we haven't seen any evidence of mutation. What we do know is with the medication antiviral uh, name remsitivir, there are some viruses that have shown mutations to the, to the drug, and it's for viral fitness. But at this time, we're gonna to have to see more. What we do have seen with this virus is that there are different phylogenetic strains that have come from different parts of the world uh, as, as we study them. The second question is kind of interesting. Could you compare COVID-19 to the influenza epidemic? I, I think they're referring to the influenza epidemic of 1918. And yes, you can actually compare, compare both of them, both pandemics, the one in 1918 and the one now, um, have shown a high degree of mortality. One is to note that the SARS-CoV-2 is a new virus around the human population, meaning that we humans don't have antibodies against it and thus are more susceptible. We haven't acquired what's uh, called a herd immunity or antibodies to fight this infection. At the same time, because it attacks the lungs uh, and it creates a lot of inflammation and makes the lungs very hard, it makes them, you have to use the ventilators and other um, intensive care unit support. So it is comparable to the pandemic in 1918. In the book, The Great Influenza, they go into detail how some of, this, some of the patients turned blue um, because of lack of oxygen. We're not seeing that, that's part of the, the description in the book, but that's what they had at that time. Um, they didn't have ICUs, um, they did not know about intubation or using uh, renal replacement therapies or anything like that. So it's a little different. At the same time, it propagated for several years. But it spread quickly from, from community to community, so that is similar to what we're seeing with the SARS-CoV-2. There is a community spread. It is spread through respiratory droplets. Both are respiratory viruses. Um, so they're similar, but not the same. Next question is, do we know why some people, including young people, are getting so sick and others are not? 
We're still learning about this disease. In the last four and a half months, we have learned more about COVID-19 than probably any other disease unprecedented at this time. We are every day, we're drinking like from a fire hose articles that come out and new things. Things that we knew two months ago or even three months ago um, are kind of evolving. Uh, the first reports that came from China as well as Italy, you saw that the people mostly affected were um, older, people above the age of 65. But as the disease spread, we started seeing younger people being affected. As also, we did not have a lot of pediatrics cases in China or Italy, and that might have to do with population base. Now we're seeing pediatric cases. At the same time, you know, we are going to know a little bit more how this is affects. What is clearly is that there is a male to female ratio at this time. Um, the other reason is that some people's immune system might act different. Their innate immune system and adaptive are different, and that might be a reason. But I think this is still something to be considered and will continue to be under investigation. Next question, do we know the actual risk of contracting the virus from an asymptomatic individual? It's a very precise question and it's an interesting public health question and the answer is we don't know. Um, we know more than before. That is one reason we change from using, not using surgical mask or, or a mask in, when you're in public um, to wearing a mask now. And the, the idea or the thought process behind it is that when you wear a mask, either a cloth mask or something that covers your mouth, when you cough into it, you're not spreading it as far to those six feet. The virus, this, the SARS-CoV-2, travels about two meters to six feet as a small air droplet. Uh, opposed to, for example, the flu. When you sneeze the flu, you can travel that further up to six meters. But in this case, it's a cough. So by putting a protective barrier in front of your face, helps you not to spread that around. What we also know in that quote-unquote asymptomatic uh, individuals, it's an early phase. You are probably at the early phases of viremic replication and not sick enough to know it. Remember, you might feel a little bit under the weather, tired, fatigue, kind of um, like jet lag, and you might attribute it to one night not sleeping well. Um, maybe you just a little, you worked out a little harder. Um, those are kind of very specific, and as the virus replicates in your body, you're gonna start getting you know, fever in about 50 to 80%. You're going to have, maybe some people have the sense of smell and, so, and, and sense of taste. Other people will have body aches and have flu-like flu -like syndromes. But uh, as I said, it's, it's something that starts developing early, very slowly. Our next question actually follows very much from the asymptomatic individual. It asks us what is known about antibody protection after having the virus. So this is a good question and we will have a podcast to talk about a little bit more about testing. 
Uh, right now, what we do is a PCR testing. It's not antigen, which is the ideal part that you would like. And then now we have developed antibodies. We create antibodies um, about two weeks after being exposed to the disease. There are papers showing that your antibody production is up to 97% in the first two weeks. Your IgGs and your IgMs start going up, and then after 28 days, you have full uh, antibodies. But not everybody follows the script. Some people don't have mount that much of an antibody response. The commercial uh, available antibodies, their sensitivity and, uh, sensitivity and specificity vary. Um, some of them might not, you know, the sensitivity uh, could be less than 50%. Um, so with the serological assays for the antibodies, there are going to be several ones. And ideally, you want to have one with an ELISA that can be used to determine who has been infected and mounted a strong immune response to SARS-CoV-2. So we'll know a little bit more in the upcoming weeks. So our next question is about how is herd immunity measuring population and what level is the herd immunity enough that children can return to school? Uh, this is a very specific question. So herd immunity is an epidemiological concept that describes the state where a population is sufficiently immune to a disease that the infection will not spread within that group. So going back, when can kids go back to school? So enough people, in other words, enough people can get the disease either through vaccination or natural immunity. Then the people who are vulnerable are protected. Um, so the, the most uh, that we see this is, for example, with mumps and, and strep pneumonia. So what you're looking at is that with all this and having a high basic reproductive rate, which we call R0, and remember the R0 in, in SARS, uh, in COVID-19 COVID is measured between two and a half and three and a half. There are some uh, reports that it could be as, as high as five, but we still don't know. Um, so meaning that if you don't get vaccinated, about 90% of the population can get infected over time. That was the concept that was started in the UK that just let it run its course and see what happened and eventually about 95% of the population. But when you have a disease that has a high morbidity and mortality, having a mortality of four or even in some places 7% of your population, that can overwhelm your, your um, healthcare systems. So what we want is that we can actually do it, increase the herd immunities by vaccinating because vaccinations makes people immune to infection, but also stops infected people passing the disease to everyone else. If we get enough people immune to the disease, then we will stop the spreading of the populations. This is why the development of vaccines is very important. So for a good treatment and prevention of this disease. So when it comes in the next season is to have an effective therapeutic if you get sick and to prevent you from getting sick is to get a vaccine. Both goes hand in hand. 
So there is a vaccine rate and there is a therapeutic rate. So basically, um, the, 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 that's how you acquire. The sad part is that herd immunity is not just the solution for an epidemia. As I said, it's, it's, it's not realistic. It overwhelms the systems. You have a high mortality. You know, see what has happened in Italy and Spain, now um, Ecuador, and now in New York, right? So right now is um, until we have a vaccine, trying to talk about herd immunity as a preventive strategy is not going to help us, and we will have a lot of uh, mortality. If you have other questions, please submit your questions to PrimeMed, and I'm more than happy to answer them weekly for you. Signing off, this is Dr. Walt Colburn, Infectious Disease, Associate Professor at Baylor College of Medicine. Twitter handle is DocWalk at 71. Be safe. Be brave. We thank you again for joining PrimeMed for today's podcast. Remember to claim your CME credits for the program on this activity's landing page on primed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Also be sure to check out all of our other podcasts and primary care activities on primed.com as well. See you next time.